you are now about to witness I push your boy the awesome crushing might I got problems of technology the U G S Robinson show Stubborn! Yes, my friends. Welcome to a show that apparently seemingly never kind of ever ends. This on the cusp of all of what we remember, what we forget, the time before the time. If it was a card with three pairs, is it still a card? If a tree is in the forest falling, does anybody hear it? Nobody's ever hear it. This is V three nine three nine. Eugene S. Robinson Soul Stomper on the channel of the same name. Also home of JJB, which is coming up later on tonight. The Jujitsu Breakdown with me and Marty G. And out of the mothballs later on tonight, you kill me. Film reviews for reprobates. Kasha and Eugene. Anyway, the words that kick it all off, Bob Riley calling up the just intro, all of nothing. From Stigmata is the band. Still available from Revelation Records, Huntington Beach, California, online. The label in the city where they hit your car with a hammer. That's right. But first, the words that kick it all off. Bob Riley, ladies and gentlemen. I'm on my way back to nowhere. Could not see so clear. I'm taking a real good look at your face. So being paid back in full always. Nothing. Uh, you know, you know, when I interviewed, and I'm going to put these on so it takes a little break. When I interviewed Anton LaVey, uh, and his name comes from Levy, though he seemed to have a begrudging respect for uh, uh, Nazis, he, he, he broke the universe down into phenotypes. He, he, he didn't say that he had just done this. He said that we did it. We usually do. He goes, you know, there's some people, he goes, I'm sure you know them. They're more like cows. There's some people that are more like sheep. There are all kinds of different animals represented in this cosmology. Let me see if the headset, if the headset, yes, it seems like it's coming through the headset. We'll have the question and answer thing. You guys have been slacking on the questions. How about this? We'll do it at the at the half hour. So the show tech, I got started late. I try, I've been trying to get online since 620 and things have been fucking up. But how about in uh, at seven o'clock on the dot, you start sending your questions. And uh, whatever comes in through tweet, at Eugene S. Robinson, at tweet, I will answer on the air, no holds barred, ask me anything. 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, you tweet me, at Eugene S. Robinson. Keep in mind, if you don't follow me on Twitter, it goes into that junkie folder where shit doesn't get read until I get desperately curious and go look. So anyway, that's the deal. 
question and answer session starts at seven o'clock on the dot. Yeah, if they're if they're worthy. But let me get let me get let me let, let me get it let me get in there. Let me get in there. Do do you know what that's from? That's the orgy story. <laughs> everything, everything, you know, depending, you need the Rosetta Stone to understand. You know the the show stomper Rosetta Stone to understand the references, but that that let, 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 let me get in there is 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 from an orgy story that the the hardiest of you, the longest listeners of Knuckle Up may recall. But since Donna Shalala is back in the mix, I can tell it without fear of sanction. But that's not we're, we're not here to talk about orgies right now. We're not here to talk about that. Uh, uh, we're here to talk about. Uh, the joy, the forgettability factor, the joy of lack of memory. Now, you do realize, of course, that um, if you were to remember everything, you would be insane, non-functional. It gets very difficult. I don't know if you've ever if, if you ever read Proust. Now, uh, Oxbow's drummer said that uh, that he read Remembrance of Things Past, and it was like. It was like a, that other friend of mine, the one who uh, Oxbow's The Narcotic Story was based on, who said the first time that he went to a prostitute, it was like it was like the answer that made all of his questions disappear. It, it, he talked about it in completely messianic religious terms, you, you know, and and he came to the conclude the early stage conclusion that 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 prostitutes were uh, much like uh, Times Arrow, the Martin Amos book. Where he says, I don't know why people give prostitutes such a hard time. They 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 give you money, they have sex with you, and they go go away. In Time's Arrow, time is moving backwards, and uh, and he calls the Nazi doctors a miracle doctors because they take smoke from the air and they pull it into their factories and they turn out people, and the people are worried when they're when they're first born from these ovens, they're worried. But then they go back to their villages and they and they they live happy, peaceful lives. It's a great premise. It's a great you know magical realism. It's a great it's a great book. Going back in time, the prostitutes. This guy held that the prostitutes were were like divine as they were in the old days. <laughs> you gotta understand, for a prostitute, you know the average guy who goes who goes to the average prostitute, you know you might pay for an hour if you're going through a high priced escort. But you're really only busy for about ten of those minutes, <laughs> uh, you know. So that leaves fifteen minutes of talking. You know, you're not paying them to have sex with you, like Charlie Sheen says. I don't pay for them to come over. I pay for them to leave. Oh yeah, you're not paying for them to have sex with you. You're paying for them to listen to your fucking bullshit. You know, I've known a, a good number of prostitutes, and they say, you know, uh, guys would come to them drunk. And just want to cuddle. Cuddle? I'm not paying somebody $350 to, to cuddle, but these guys did. Doesn't matter. We were talking about phenotypes. Despite the fact that Anton LaVey, was real name, last name was Levy, had begrudging respect for the Nazis and, and their use of phenotypes. Wolves, sheep, natural order to try to describe. But the reality of it is, the reality of it is, uh, um, you know, Animals that seem to have long memories live a long time. Thinking of elephants here, um, I don't know whether the animals on the top of my head have, and I don't know whether it's true that elephants have long memories or not, but that's not the point I'm trying to raise. The point is that uh, um, we 
selectively choose, and it, I, I think it's largely involuntary, what to remember and what not to remember, right? So uh, uh, an Oxbow's drummer said, Remembrance of Things Past was like the most life-changing book he's ever read by Proust, all right? So, uh, and this mimics what my what my friend who, the Oxbow's narcotic story was partially about, uh, uh, said about his f first visit, at first and many, of many and subsequent visits to prostitutes. It was the answer that made his questions disappear. You know, have you tried to read Remembrance of Things Past? Because I have. And by the time I get to page 100, I usually tap out because what he's doing is describing in very much real time, you know, the French novelist said you should read a Robe Grier and his book, Jealousy. And it's a great book because you, you get about three quarters of the way through the book before you realize that your narrator, the unreliable narrator that you've chosen as your narrator is re has pulled you into his psychosis where he's hiding in the bushes watching his wife having an affair with a tennis instructor who may or may not exist. But that took three quarters of the book. It's a small book. It took three quarters of the book to figure out that you're in the mind of a lunatic. In other words, con conceptual, uh, conceptual fiction, which is very different from sci-fi or, or magical realism. In other words, they're playing with the structure of it. So when Proust writes about waking up in the bed in the morning and tries to do it in real time, it's, it's conceptual genius. And it makes you aware of suddenly if you're watching movies or if you're reading books, that what they do with time is very interesting, which is kind of why I started talking about Time's Arrow as well. What they do with time is very interesting. I am a character. I wake up in the morning. I brush my teeth. I think about meeting John. So I'm thinking about future events as yet unknown with a friend named John. So now in the narration of the story, I've jumped ahead a day, a week, a month, or a year. And I can also jump back as I exist in this time, in this moment of getting dressed and getting ready. Proust doesn't do that. Proust goes, goes straight. He stays in the time of now for as long as that time of now. So by the time you're reading, you are transported into a situation where you find yourself in a chair off the side of the bed of Proust and you're watching him do, he gets a tea, he pours the water, puts his finger, puts a spoon, tastes the tea. No thinking about the future and no remembering, the, well, he does, he does remember the past. But he's remembering the past, I mean, the, the past is static. It's what has happened versus the future, which is what's going to happen, which propels you into a place you you aren't. This is a kind of concretism in, in Proust, and it's absolutely maddening. Now, I've heard from people that the book was transformative, changed their lives. The Oxbow's drummer says that. I haven't been able to get past the page 100 because I tap out. So I got you. This is a wonderful conceit that you're doing. Maybe I should just start reading from page 100. But, you know, there's certain books of David Foster Wallace, you know, Infinite Jest that I haven't read either. Hey, you know, I and I have serious doubts whether anybody's read it. That's not Trumpism on my part. That's fucking reality. 1,100 pages of cleverness is 1,100 pages too fucking much. You know what? I prize somebody who can tell me a basic story. A basic fucking non, you know. I got a story for you. Give me the Jack and the Bean story. You, I, I know that story inside and out. If you could tell me that story in a conversational way. Very good. I went to the market. My mother told me to do this. I ignored her. And she was angry beyond anger when I got home and she threw all my stuff out the window. 
you could tell that story. It's how the manner in which you deliver it. In any case, how memory works, how our recording device works in terms of how we embrace our reality is that is that. And I think I remember Joe Ciccarelli in the when we were recording the Oxbow record in the studio started screaming at us. And somebody tried to explain why he was screaming at us, and he said, "Look, let me explain to you where a producer works. As you're recording the music, and as you're talking about the music, he is constructing his version of your music." placement of the drums, placement of the guitar and bass and the voice, how it sits in the mix. He is doing that while you're talking. If you talk too specifically about what he's doing, then you get a Ciccarelli, a Ciccarelli, multiple Grammy winner, Joe Ciccarelli, throwing his cell phone across the room and screaming at you sage words of wisdom, which have stuck with me. He wasn't screaming at me necessarily. He was screaming at Oxbow's guitar player and uh, Oxbow's uh, a drummer and he, before he threw them out of the studio. He goes, I can make this as bad. I can make this record as bad as you want me to. Or you can let me do my fucking job. And he threw them out. And I kind of look, I go, do I have to go? He's like, no, you can stay. I was just listening. I'm listening for the overview. I got the radio ears. That's my job to listen with the ears of the street. So when we in, when we endure reality, and it's a purposeful and interesting use of the word, when we endure reality, what's happening is we are editing as we go. How do I know that? I, I, I know that very specifically because I live through Saturday. But Eugene, what did you do Saturday? I'm going to give you the tent poles of what I did on Saturday. I trained. I got nervous about running outside because of the smoke. Northern California is a flame, so there's smoke everywhere. I see people walking around the streets like it's Japan wearing masks. I have to laugh. It smells like a campfire to me. I saw some guy take his mask down to smoke. Get the fuck out of here. Oh, the smoke in the air is so bad. Boop. It so I went to run it at 24-hour fitness. Changed. Went to a movie, which is what the wife and I are going to talk about on You Kill Me coming up later. After the movie, went to see Daughters play at Bottom of the Hill. A great band. You should see. Listen, they've got a new record out. Came home. Did a bunch of stuff. Passed out finally at 1.30. These are the tent poles of my day. They're painful upon painful details that not only am I not adding to the story, but I've forgotten to, I, I've forgotten that those I've forgotten to add to the story and those that I don't even remember. Did I get gas yesterday? Yes or no, don't remember. Did I get oil to put in the car? Yes, I don't remember. Maybe, I don't think I did. If I have to push harder, did I go to the post office yesterday to see if any checks showed up my way or to mail some of the orders? Some of you guys have ordered books from me. How do you do that, Eugene? It's not it's not for mass consumption. Don't ask me. So I've edited I've I've edited stuff. I've edited stuff to get me to now. And I know somebody out there is tempted to use a technology say, "Oh, you know, how many megs of RAM?" You know, fuck all that bullshit. Yeah, yeah, how many megs of RAM? I'm just I don't know that it has to do with capacity. I don't know. There's a lot more stuff I plan on learning before I die, presuming I don't die, knock on wood, immediately, very soon. But I, I, I'm making a decision about what's, what's memorable and to be remembered and what's not. 
In other words, I am thinking I am I am taking the micro and going macro with it. Super significant things. I can't tell you what I wore almost any day last week unless there was a show on it. And then I can look at the video of the show. I, I in a general way, wore a suit of some kind and a button down shirt. Uh, Chelsea boots or ankle boots. I don't remember with some variation. It's a lot. I don't remember. Uh, how about people I love? The conversations I've had with my children. Vague memories. And these are several days ago. I talked to my oldest daughter about half an hour ago. I can remember what we talked about. It's not that you choose based on importance or unimportance. Is that you're construct, you're editing the story as you make the story. And the things that best accord with our desires in life are the things that also do that. Right. For example, one of the things I can tell you, a, a tentpole of my day in terms of memory and how it works, is that I went to a movie yesterday. And the movie that, that we're going to review later on is Suspiria, a remake of the D'Argento, Dario Argento. <laughs> Good movie. Both of them. One, one di di different. We talk about later on the show. So, but the reason why that, of course, is because they they take all the micro they take all the micro necessary. They they serve as a function of memory, all right. Unless you make a movie, unless and I'm sure somebody's done it. I, I remember Joe Queenan writing a piece for I believe it was Esquire about a, he said he was going to see nothing but foreign movies for a year, no blockbuster films. And he almost lost his mind. And one of the movies he saw that was a, like with Mongolian shepherds and, and their yak farmers, no fucking joke. This is exactly, but it was made like in real time. And he said he got into the second hour of watching these guys walk around with their yaks. And he was like, where are the Avengers movies? God, why did I decide to do this? I absolutely cannot take it. But mo movies, movies are are kind of um, are macro representations of micro realities, and as such, they're easily containable. Uh, they're, they're memory books. So I can tell you that Marathon Man is about you know an escaped Nazi uh, in New York City, uh, Patricia Highsmith, uh, Secret Service. Possibly gay secret service men, or uh, sorry, not secret, uh, intelligence officers, spies. I could tell you that, uh, uh, you know, a streetcar named Desire, uh, young couple down in New Orleans, Marlon Brando, star turn. I could tell you on the waterfront, Bud Schulberg, directed by Eli Kazan. These are all kinds of things are encapsulated in, the, in this kind of macro version. You wonder where I'm going with this. I'm telling you where I'm going with this because we're going to make the jump to another type of entertainment, sports entertainment. Sports entertainment. The degree to which sports succeed or the degree to which they succeed in the same way that movies succeed, where they take the micro and they go macro with it. So you say, oh, my God, you remember that time the Yankees, the Red Sox won the World Series? And everybody, 
already what I've done is gone gone macro in a way that people of my tribe should be able to quickly associate and readily associate thought patterns and and and, and uh, uh, feelings. Uh, uh, I don't want to say feeling sensations because it's a, a redundancy uh, 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 and sense based uh, sensory feeling. God damn it, what am I trying to say? You know what I'm trying to say. It's a thought-based, sensory-based. We, we've communicated as as much as possible using as little as possible to say, to say it. Like the old story about the prisoners locked in prison, and then they, they, they had, we've been here so long, kid, we just number our jokes. And the kids, they listen, 57, everybody laughs. 33, and everybody laughs. The kid decides, I, I got to get on this action. He doesn't really know what the jokes are, but he goes, 19. Nobody laughs. He's like, what the fuck? What you know, all these guys, but you just calling out numbers. And the guy looks at him and goes, Hey kid, it's the way you tell it. It's the way you tell it. So so you know, so depending on your sport, NFL, oh my God, we got a black quarterback, so step back the black quarterback for the for the uh uh Washington Redskins. Played the first Super Bowl, I think, was played by an African American quarterback. I got kind of, I'm not a big football fan, but I, I remember they took the micro and make it macro. These were major events. Where, you know, Johnny Boney Joni debut, major event. Major event. You know, because anybody who can, Anderson Silva getting beaten by Chris, Chris Woodpile Weidman the first time. You didn't believe it was going to happen, and it fucking happened. And in that moment, what you indelibly inked, some I find you your brain Alzheimer's uh, uh, riddled in your 80s. What do you remember about? I remember Petra's farm remembers, and I remember Johnny Boney Joni kicking Daniel Cormier in the side of the head. That's what I remember. I mean, these things, it's like the needle starts – says, fuck, this is going to be somehow significant. Like in those stories where the gypsy says, I'm going to give you five things, a piece of toast, you know, a ball peen hammer, a needle and thread, and a water bottle. You know, what the fuck? This gypsy is crazy. What is this going to help me with? And each of these things comes into play during the stories. That's what macro thinking does. The degree to which we like sports is the degree to which they do that for us. Because otherwise, it's all just remembrance of things past and cups of tea in bed. I'm sure I met a guy once. I, I'm going to go say his name. I'm sure he doesn't care. And there are lots of guys like him, Dennis Moore. We were on the swim team together in high school. And I discover at one point when I'm sitting at Nikon that Dennis is working like right, like literally 50, 50, mi 50 yards from where I am. He's, I'm working at Nikon. He's working at Oracle. I call him and say, hey, man, we should have lunch. And he's like this paranoia, which is more characteristic of me. He's like, well, we're going to have lunch. Let's have lunch. We're classmates. I haven't seen you. Let, is there a reason we should? He goes, okay, okay, relax. So we have lunch. And I don't remember where we have it. I, we may have it at Oracle. I don't remember. And he was kind of cagey. He didn't hear relax. I didn't want anything. I just wanted to talk. And I said, hey, man, do you remember the last time I saw you? It was on St. Mark's Place. It was like in 1981, 82. Do you remember? And he goes, Eugene, let me stop you right there. Let me stop you right there and let me just say, I don't remember anything that happened to me before the age of 30. No, sorry, not the age of 30. He said, up through, 
up to and including two years after I graduated from college. In essence, I don't remember anything before I was 24. I said, do you remember who I am? He goes, yes, I do. I said, do you remember where we went to high school? Yes, I do. I said, do you remember where you went to college? He goes, I don't remember anything until a few years after I graduated. And then he looked at me, put his fork down, and he looked at me. And it's told me, he said, in a very fundamental way, I can keep this up all day if you want. But I'm telling you, I do not remember. You could choose to believe me or not believe me. But the, 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 the underlying truth, the macro truth here is, I don't speak about what I don't remember. I don't talk about what I don't know. So I can stare at you while you try to inform me about what happened in 82 and 83 and 84, or we could just talk about something else. That was almost an unsuccessful exchange. I was like, I don't have any need to talk about 83, 84, 85, 86, 87. I, we could just talk about whatever, man. Glad to see you. And in that course of the conversation, many things came out that his brother, who I also knew, his younger brother was also in the swim team, was good friends with Igal Amir, the guy who killed Rabin in Israel. And they were and the group that they're part of, all completely unrepentant. Happy he's dead. Guy was an enemy of the state. They would dig him up and kill him again if they could. So he did remember things. He did remember things. But he was choosing to establish a line that said, I'm not going to go micro on you, man. I'm not going to talk about this stuff. The degree to which sports, uh-oh, it's 702. Let's see. Ah, Jesus Christ. Let's see if we have any questions. Do we have any questions that came in through Twitter? See, I'm doing this not because I have a burning desire to answer any questions in real time, but I'm doing this because you can only, like, you can only get questions to me if you follow, well, you can if you don't follow me on Twitter, but I'm trying to get you to do the Twitter thing so I can get to the requisite number of, of followers so that at the end of the year, it's 25% of my raise, and at least I can show a good college try if I can't get the, tw the 1,200 I have left. Tell your friends, follow Eugene S. Robson. Yes, I could go to one of these bullshit fucking click farms and get people to sign up. I want to do that. It seems, it seems not legit to me. And besides which, I don't want to have to go through the trouble. So let's see if we got questions here. Uh, takeaways from Cowboy Perry. I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there. Uh, do you think Dalbert <laughs> will make a point in, in lightweight? Um, <laughs> so those are my those are my two questions. All right. Well, I'm just gonna fold those. I'm just gonna fold those into the, to the show because we're about to get we're about to get to that. So um, so the degree to which we're, the degree to which a sports franchise like the UFC is successful is a degree to which they they help me go macro. This fight card this past weekend um, was the least likely to do that. Sometimes the bald one has said, this fight is not for you. We just did a care, don't care preview about the upcoming UFC that's down in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And I think I had, I ended up strangely enough having four cares on the card. Uh, V-Rod, Victor Rodriguez had twice that number, but he's a more avid student of, of, of the business that, uh, that, that I am. But the reason and the, and the point that I was, the symbolic point I was trying to make is that these are, that this is not a fight that adheres to a successful tried and true, uh, you know, uh, uh, methodology in regards to sports entertainment 
it doesn't go macro at all. These were all micro fight uh, fights. It wasn't about the rising and advancing of any kind. It wasn't about prospects. It wasn't about potential. It was none of that. None of that really. It was just a fight. But I've understood why they do it. And I and this is the important thing. This is where we've been trying to get to for the past <laughs> the past thirty minutes or less, twenty five minutes or nineteen minutes. We 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 are looking at our sport. How about let's call it that? We are looking at our sport with a magnifying glass. And the Oofsi and the bald one are looking at their sport with binoculars. So we go into uh, next Saturday, like the UFC fight night in Argentina in Buenos Aires, and we start to go, what? What? Who are these people? What? What? Because the macro story is pulling us down. The, the micro story is pulling us down. The macro story is, is the, the main and the co-main. Gustafson and, and Johnny Boney Joni and uh, uh, Cyborg and Nunez, that's macro all the way, all the way. Portents of deeper, serious issues, you know, whether or not uh, Johnny Boney Joni meets DC, DC's retirement thing, gets in there before Brock Lesnar, or best yet scenario, sets him up for a fight with Lesnar. Don't know. Don't know. It's heavy. You don't need much else on that card to make anything exciting for you. But this fight, this fight, this past weekend, outside of the fact that my fight picks were 100% right. So I get lost in the minutia. And as I get lost in the minutia, I start thinking lots of different things, much like when people try to explain to me stamps or how wristwatches work. Things I'm not disinterested in, but things in which I have other things I'm interested in more. So... Let's pull up the, the the fight stuff. So, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna painfully go through. I'm not gonna painfully go through. Um, I'm gonna start because it's too easy to start from the end. I'm gonna start from the bottom of this card to to burnish my point. Mark De La Rosa and Joby Sanchez. Nobody texted me and said to watch this fight. Indeed, it goes three rounds and ends up a split decision. Now, I don't haven't seen that fight, and I don't know if it was an exciting fight or not, but that really seems beyond the macro point, doesn't it? Joseph Morales and Eric Shelton. I almost cared about this because of Shelton. But, and Shelton did win it. Split decision. Now, I didn't see that fight. But does that smell like an exciting fight? Could be. I don't know. But none of you who watched it live at the time, I watched it post facto, none of you who watched it live at the time texted me to say, man, you really missed something. Nor did you do so with Devontae Smith and Julian Arosa, which was a first-round KO. First-round KO I could find easily online. I watched it, and I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. One guy knocked another guy out. It makes me think about what Albini said in the Vice, uh, Vice's Fightland piece that I did about walkout music. These guys use these supremely well-trained well athletic bodies for something better than knocking each other's brains out. But that's, you know, music guy, poker guy. Anyway, 
David Ramos, John Gunther. Oh, it's a choke first round. Chaz Skelly and Bobby Moffitt. I cared a little bit because of uh, Skelly, but Skelly lost was submitted with a Bravo choke. That I might like to see. But nobody texted me to say, yo, Eugene, you should see that. Ashley Yoder and Amanda Bobby Cooper, nobody. However, excuse me, uh, uh, Michael Trezano and Lu uh, Luis Pena, nobody told me to see that. And in the end, another split decision. My gut tells me that that wasn't an exciting fight and certainly backed up by the fact that nobody told me to watch it. And then comes Macy Barber and Hannah Cyphers. Now, in a weird turn of events, friend of mine does BJJ uh, back east, back east and down south. Said, I train with Cyphers. She's no fun to train with, by which I mean she hits hard, she rolls hard, jiu-jitsu is great. Da -da -da -da, you need to watch her. Separate from that, somebody else says, you need to watch Macy. And I'm not looking at my tote sheet, so I write Macy, M-A-C-Y. I think we're talking about a dude. That's his last name. And I'm surprised. And I watched the fuck. Oh, this is this is the girl that's fighting the girl that, that dude, Ian. Well, I don't know what's his last name. Was Ian, Ian was telling me about. Well, she got Cypher's lost, uh, was TKO'd. Elbows and punches. And this was a worthwhile fight to see. More because I had some skin in the game. I had a dog in the hunt. My but a, a buddy's buddy is fighting in it. Paid attention. And now we're dialed into my first pick was Dariush against Thiago Moses. And this was exciting in a macro way for me because I I did an article for Ozzy.com on Benel Dariush. He's the only fighter I know who speaks Aramaic, the language of Jesus. <clears throat> So now I'm dialed in. Are we going macro yet? Not fully. One exciting train ride does not an exciting story make. Where I'm going, where I came from. Otherwise, I'm stuck in remembrance of things past and the teacup. But next up is Raquel Pennington and Jermaine Durandami. Jermaine Durandami, who's not only a friend of Knuckle Up, but a known associate. I've done an article on her uh, uh, for Ozzy uh, uh, as well, and who had who has had some small amount of controversy in her career. Grew up in Holland originally uh, from a Belizean father and a, uh, a Dutch mother. Has gotten a job as a cop. <laughs> what does it mean that all these guys have to get second jobs to keep keep employed in the UFC? What does that mean exactly? I don't know what that mean, Mr. Ashley. Don't know. Um, but she fought in a way, in, in kind of a wonderfully credible way, um, that leads me to believe that uh, she won it. It was a unanimous decision. No knockouts or no submissions. That that she's in a, I haven't thought of a name for the place where she is. Where, it, I mean, it used to be, an, it used to be called Sean Shirked, but... But that only describes one 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 period of Sean Shirk's career and not the vast multitude of other things that happened that would come into your head if you remembered even who he was when I say Sean Shirk. But but what I mean by that is or maybe I just could call it she shirked, where she's good enough where there's no percentage of anybody else fighting her, but she has a real aversion, uh, for whatever reason, to fight cyborg. Now, now, you know, I realize that I'm in very 
on the very thin ice here. Man, I'm my, my mustache is messed up. I gotta shave. I'm on very thin ice here. And the ice that I'm on is that uh, I don't know this for any of this for a fact. So this is alleged supposition. But I can look at the facts. And, and that she's avoided, assiduously avoided fighting Cyborg. Is it because she's afraid? I don't know. Is it because she's been injured? That was a claim. If she was injured and is no longer injured based on the fact that she's fought, or is it that she wants to focus on uh, her real life and her job, she would also sign on to the description that another fighter gave of the UFC, that uh, the bald one and Sean Shelby, also known as Keith, are like really terrible girlfriends our boyfriends call you desperate last minute wanting to do something and you can't do it. Then they take offense and they get angry. They may blow you up in the press. They don't work with you. They work at you. Could believe that. But there's a dearth of fights that she's going to be able to fight that, that are significant. And, and if she's saying, look, I'm a cop. It's my job. It's what pays me. It's what keeps my lights on. That's where my health insurance is from. My good health insurance, not the other kind. Hard to be a professional fighter. The bald one said it himself. This is not a long-term career. Got to have a backup plan. So if it accords with my vacation, then I could train and I could fight. But fighting Cyborg is a full-time fight. Don't know. Don't know what the reason is. I don't have that kind of relationship with her. Don't know. But I, I leave the, her fight with Pennington, which she won, and I called it that she would win. I leave it with an understanding that, that she's got to have things in here happening that are going to make a future possible and it's really binary at this point she's going to fight cyborg she's not going to fight cyborg that's it that's it that's it thank you carlos gallon just subscribed if you've also followed followed on twitter that's cool now the question that somebody had donald Cerrone, charoni and mike perry you know, um, Mike Perry ha has been irksome in a non-fight. What happened with the swim team guy at lunch? You stopped after you brought up his brother, who is the enemy of the state. <laughs> well, we had a, a perfectly wonderful, normal lunch where we talked about nothing that happened before he was 22 or 24. And he caught me up to where he was. And... Uh, we ended like good old classmates. Like I told him about where I was in life and he told me where he was in life. And uh, I think I had been only recently married then and uh, maybe was on the verge of having my first kid and he was married and, you know, it was his wife's second marriage and they, he had a stepkid and then he left Oracle and I, I've not seen him or heard from him again. I don't didn't need constant. I mean, keep in mind, his last name starts with M. And mine starts with R. So in homeroom, he sat at the beginning of the row because they're alphabetical. So, you know, it's not like we needed to be deep, deeply a friend. The point behind that story was about how memory works and about how he either really doesn't remember or choosing not to remember or absolutely can't remember. These are maybe two or three of two of two of the same option or three of if you want to get nuanced about it. So that's how that's the, the story ended. I'm assuming he's out there doing doing quite fine. I'd like I'd like to think, um, but uh, my takeaways from Cowboy versus Perry. Well, that's what we're what we're talking about. Because I'm still getting your questions. They come with the Korean Zombie win and losing. I had him winning until knockout. I'm gonna get to that too. 
I'm gonna get to I'm gonna get to both of those things. I just had to take the long way home here. Oh, my nose is itching like crazy. Here we, uh, <laughs> yeah, here we go. Here's, this is real time, baby. <laughs> How do you like that? How do you like that meta shit? I don't know. Put it because I don't know if he wants that up. Um, so, so anyway, uh, Mike, Mike Perry, Mike Perry is, um, you got to understand. There have been several characters who have put it in and then pulled it out, and you kind of you. Put it in, what is that that yellow man song? I put it in dry and she start to cry. I pull it out wet and she start to fret. There are plenty of these fighters who put it in dry and we start to cry. Uh, uh, Chael Sonnen, McNuggets at first. And then when they pull it out, you see it. there's method to their madness and there's a genius. You know, we don't fret. We're, we're like, I got it. Fuck. We're in on the joke. Those people really late to that joke tend not to like these guys at all because they feel betrayed. So well, you guys were all laughing. I didn't get it. So I guess you were laughing. I wasn't laughing with you, which means process of elimination. Uh, you were laughing at me. And they tend not to like him. I kind of like it. I like the kid. I, li- I, li- I, li- I like, I like, you know, he's like, I saw him outside and he was petting the bus trying to feed it a carrot. Shit's funny. Whether it come, came from Doug Crosby or not, the execution was all Chael Sonnen's. So Mike Perry fits that category, but he's not quite smart enough, not quite clever enough, not quite couth enough, not quite slick enough, not quite smooth enough. If I was describing a dancer for you just now, you would be hearing about somebody that you would not want to see dance. I'm undecided that I'm 1% black, so I could call I could call somebody a nigga. Okay, bro, you know, I'm going to dress up as a Mexican. I mean, there are characters who can pull off what you're trying to pull off, Bill Burr being the number one. Bill Burr is old enough to remember when construction workers and guys like that were ardent fucking Democrats, where it was, it was, it was a blue-collar party. And... and and so, but what he's done is register the fact that it's not really a blue collar party anymore by bringing to it a, a blue collar sentiment, but that is still not pro Trump or pro or pro or pro red state or pro pro right wing, which is really special and rare what, what Burr is doing. Because somebody's ah, it's like Archie Bunker, but Archie Bunker, we have Archie Bunker for a president now. Bill Burr brings all those qualities that I like from blue collar healthy skepticism and mistrust of authority, right? This is Bill Burr, the comedian. And this is part of what used to be blue collar approach to, to like the guy in the front office is never going to fucking help you. That, that, that talking point, stalking point, coffee clatch has been completely co-opted to a certain degree by, by the right wing. To which I would say for my right wing friends, when they're telling you, man, they just don't, don't just, when those guys who drive fuck who are driven to work in DC, Republicans and Democrats who are driven to work, tell you that they're your friends, there's a need for some cautious cautious pessimism. I'm your friend. Can I ride with you in that limo? Nah, nah, you know, no. But that subway over there looks pretty good. It doesn't really work because I can't get an appropriation to pay for infrastructure to pay for it. 
but you can stand on the platform and act like it works. How's that, fella? So, <laughs> so, so Mike Perry does these things that 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 on the that that, that like that he's not clever enough by half to actually pull off, right? And he's like calling his shot and yeah, Cerrone, that bada bing, did it. Oh, somebody here, somebody. I think Durandami doesn't want to be another Cormay. Why end up forever chasing the unattainable? It could be a method of personal growth, but at what cost? What do you think? Yeah, I, yeah, because I, I'm going to go back to that because I'm about to leave it to go with the Cerrone thing. I think that's very much the case. Whereas DC actually had had to have it inside him. He had, from that moment with Jones, they rubbed each other the wrong way. He had to know that was fight number one. Had to know. He had to know. Jermaine is like cyborg. Don't need to fucking know. Whatever, whatever is behind door number three. I don't. There's a lady. There's a tiger, and there's door number three. And I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. I'll fight all the ladies behind door number one. I'll fight none of the tigers before door number two, and I'm going to completely avoid whatever the fuck is behind door number three because this is just a side hustle, which I have to respect. She wouldn't say that to me, but it's not her job to, to tell me about the inner workings of her mind. Not at all. It's a smart money move. Fighting Cyborg, what do you think is going to happen to Durandami after she proves this? I mean, She's got two ways it could go. She wins, in which case she's going to have to fight her again because it's going to be a rematch situation. She wins, and she's got to fight her again and beat her twice because if she loses the second time, then she's got to – and she she loses the second time after having won the first time, then it's a, a trilogy. What's the likelihood of her getting out of three fights with Cyborg without some fucking long-lasting injuries? Fuck that, bro. I know people who say very definitely how hard that uh, Durandami hits. You think she wants to be as hard as she hits people? No. And that likelihood is very high. Well, what's the double standard? Why are you giving her? Look, DC is also a friend to knuckle up. But DC had to know. It was driven by him. Watching somebody do porn who doesn't want to be in porn is never any fun. DC wanted Johnny Boney Journey because he had to know and he got what it, it, we went on him with that macro journey. Perfect. What Durandami is saying, even if she doesn't say it, is I don't want to know. I don't need to know. I do not ever. I could live it perfectly the rest of my life without knowing. That's kind of the noise that DC is making now, but you don't believe him. How, why don't you believe him? Because he had to know two other times. And if, you know, if two is not enough, then three is not too many. So Mike Perry, to jump back into it, Mike, Mike, Mike Perry has got certain elements of that, but not enough. And the only thing that Mike Perry could have done to, 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 to last, to last in my mind, would have been to, to have a decent fucking showing. He's like, yeah, Cerrone's going to punch. And Cerrone's just like, okay. This is, remember, Cerrone is a guy who doesn't know, who doesn't know what money is. Maybe this is the fire that the nose is itching. I'm sorry. So Cerrone is a guy who doesn't who doesn't who doesn't know what money is, you know, and he's like, man, this is, this is just another fucking payday. Cerrone seems like he's like fuck Winkle John is. A, I think that Cerrone is kind of like the, a more successful Joe Lawson. 
I think he's got plenty of money. He can never fight again. You're not going to catch him in 10 years having to try to sell belts and that kind of shit. At the point where he could continue to do what he likes and get paid for. You know, they're golf pros who you've never heard of. Guys who are probably 10 through 20 in terms of world ranking in terms of in, in golf. You know what those guys do outside of making money? They're not winning enough competitions. They teach people how to golf. They go around the world. People will pay money to play with them. Not a bad lifestyle. You know? They do a couple of endorsements. Not everybody can afford Tiger Woods, but they can afford, you know, you got a new driver or something. You get this guy. I wouldn't know who he is. You wouldn't know who he is. 10 through 20? Who is the 11th best golf player in the world? Do you know? You don't know. But he's not broke. Cerrone is not broke. You know, I mean, you know, I think Mark Coleman just had was it came at a bad time. None of those guys are rich from that time. So he goes into it. He's 100 percent relaxed. If I lose, I don't lose necessarily. Man, I, you know, company guy. I've seen how they do company guys, but it's all right. I'm around. I got two or three more years anyway in the pipe as long as I keep winning. And guess what? Nobody thinks I know jujitsu. That meme is going around with Mike Perry screaming right before he taps. I'm glad. I'm glad. I want you to see it. I want you to see it. Embrace it. Live it. Love it. Man, oh man, Ashevitz. So what was your question? Somebody had a very direct question about, uh, sorry, I, I got to look at it, about Cerrone. Um, is it, is it a bit of, no, that, that I'm going to get to that. Uh, yeah. Uh, what were your takeaways from Cowboy versus Bear? So my takeaway is that is that fundamentally uh, cow, Cowboy, legacy. Hall of Fame, legacy. Just like a lot. And as far as I'm concerned, a Cerrone, he's he has a record like some of the greats of old. You look at Randy Couture's record, you like hard to believe. Man, that guy lost a lot of fights. He was pushing himself. More importantly, even those fights he lost made bank. Who won those? You look at Cerrone's record, he's lost a fair number of fights. Hasn't stopped it from winning a large, incredibly large number of them. Won't keep him out of the Hall of Fame. Won't let him retire in a few years feeling like he's done. You know, how long do you hold the belt for? Doesn't matter, man. Do you understand? I spent 10 years in the top 10. And I'm not talking about Chris Weidman years. I'm talking about pretty active fucking years. I tell people all the time, you know what? Don't even ask me anything. Just assume, I'm talking about specifically at work, just assume, I, I'm telling you, don't even ask because you're not even assuming 100% I will do it. They have to say, I wonder if Eugene will, uh, just, I, I'll do it. I, should I ask Eugene? I, I'll do it. Anything about it on camera? I'll, I'll do it. Podcast? I, I'll do it. That's what Cerrone has been like. I don't care. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Do it. He gets a volume discount, man. Cerrone has become a permanent star in the firmament. Now, there are plenty of people who I could talk to about past stars who may not even know who I'm talking about. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. 
What matters is what that guy does Monday morning for work. And what I hear about Cerrone is he's tooling around on a boat fishing. Good living for a guy who's 37 or however old he is at this point. Still challenged to fights by people on the street or Lake Havasu or wherever the hell he's hanging out where his boat is. Mike Perry, however, is a much more interesting case. Because loud mouth and skill will get you a lot further than just a loud mouth. Wes Sims had loud mouth and no skill and fought, I think, six fights in the UFC before he was summarily dismissed to living under bridges. A sad story, which they discovered, and they said, we can't have it. It's a bad look. It is a bad look for us. Is Mike Perry bridge-bound? I don't know. But all that other shit becomes much less charming. His attempts to, to gain macro significance through micro moves becomes much less interesting and much less charming because we are fundamentally here because he does something with his fist and with his feet. With feet. With his fists and with his feet. And if he does that ineffectively, there's absolutely no reason to pay attention to the rebob. We don't fuck care, to quote Sarau. We don't fuck care. So I think I think Perry is in kind of a fucked up position. And if Perry was really smart, he would pull a page from Cerrone's book. And what Cerrone would do right now is not what Perry is going to do. I think Perry is going to try to punch high where Perry should punch low. He could have a perfectly serviceable fight with somebody who's in whose who's ranking is 9 or 10 or even 12 or 13. But for him to push it and try to get his name in the conversation between one and a champion and five is inadvisable because he'll be thinking he'll he'll have he'll have that 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 gentle patter, the gentle cyclical patter. What if I lose? What if I lose? Oh my God! What if I lose this one? What if I lose? What if I, I gotta get the boat back. I gotta I need a new car. I gotta change a note. I got I gotta have to move. No, man. Scared money don't make money, bro. You know, a, a buddy of mine, we sat one day and we did a tally of all the, all the women that we had slept with. And we figured out, come to a very certain specific conclusion. And that conclusion was that it's all about the percentages. You know, now there's some women that you might sleep with and people go like, oh my God, what did you do? Sleep, you know, with her. She's physically unattractive. She had a lot of soul. Maybe that was it. I like the cut of her jib. Maybe that was it. Or maybe more specifically, the number breakdown was on my side. You have to confirm for the world. This is what this 0 to 10 ranking is. You have to confirm for the world your genetic standing, even though your genetic standing is something that we embrace and absorb in our bones. We feel it. You ever see women meet a woman that they haven't met before, either a group? This is, ties into Suspiria, which we're going to review later on tonight. My daughter did this when she was like seven. Some teacher woman came to talk to her, you know, adult school administrator type, came up to talk to a group of people of which my oldest daughter was on the on the edge. And she came up to talk, and my daughter did like this, looked in her face so that she knew she was looking, and then looked at her shoes 
and then looked up her body in her eyes. And my daughter's face at that moment said, you are lacking. It was actually, she did to her teacher, a teacher she never got along with. Because in essence, she read the teacher, the genetic riot act and said, you don't count. <laughs> no matter what I do with my life, the genetic lottery that I've won, this class-based system, let's now, you and I both know. Take a drink. <laughs> you and I both know that <laughs> my lottery number is higher than your lottery number. Nothing will change that. Nothing will make that different. That's why guys go in the fucking bars and shoot them up. Ooh. There we go. It's, oh, it's, it's, you see the glass is all broken out of it. So, um, so, so, uh, so, uh, let's so Perry, I got to in the last few minutes here. I, I'm sorry. I got, I've got to rush. I got to get, uh, what does this guy say? Uh, Cerrone now has a child. You know exactly how that changes worldview as in no more fishing too bad. It's almost too late in his career. No, 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 no. One kid is nothing. You don't, you, you don't know that if you only have, if you only have one kid, one kid is very easy. I'm sure everybody who has a go, oh my God, it's so hard. Yeah, we'll have three or four, five. Try that. And I have to say, as a parent, the only miserable part about parenting that I absolutely despise is everything to do with school, teachers, and other parents. It's a fucking drag. You know, there are parents who, when I was growing up, didn't show their faces at the kids' school ever. Back to school night, never, ever. But it's become this thing now as a mark of being a good parent. You got to show up in school all the time, everything, no matter what. And if you got three kids in school, that's three times. That's three meetings. That's If they got seven teachers, that's 21 meetings. It's fucking enervating. And people at work don't give a shit. They don't understand. And your kid is now going to be like traumatized. Like everybody else's dad was there. You got to go up these school things. It is hellish. It is absolutely hellish. I feel like Jesus Christ. You know, I went through fourth grade already, and I remember my parents come to school like twice. So stop this. Oh, you got a coach. You got to come. You got to bring food. There's a puppet show. They got ah, ah, ah. one kid. You could do it. So, but Cerrone is doing fine. He's not married to the kind of, or he's not with the kind. I don't know who he's with, but it's not the kind that's driving him to buy mansions and the fight. You know, we're fine. How much money do you need? I, my my ex-wife used to say $40 million wasn't enough to retire on in, in the Bay Area. And she may have been right. Don't know. I told her if I got $40 million, I'd quit my job and she was welcome to quit, continue working. It never happened that way. I do not have $40 million. But anyway, the Yair Rodriguez-Korean uh, zombie fight, and that's the last one, that was the main event. So in other words, things are looking as rosy as they ever were. That, that, that Cerrone has gotten to that wild and woolly place where the, he's not going to rise any higher than he is. He's still capable of, of putting asses in seats and, and is, gives a compelling take and a compelling look as a, as a, you know, a pleasant presence and uh, Hall of Fame no matter what he does. He's comes out smelling like a rose as far as I'm concerned. Perry, however, is on fucking Shitsville uh, uh, on a long skid to Shitsville Street. And I don't know. I I. I, I you know, if he's smart, punches down, 
but I don't think he's smart enough to punch down. I think he'll punch up, and then we'll watch him slowly degrade in the head like we've watched Eric Silva, like we've watched Weidman, like we watch these other cats who gotten too – like my road manager said once when he came to see me in Hamburg, and I was staying in a hotel that Apple was paying for me, and he looked at this palatial. It was absolutely fucking palatial. Apple sent me to uh, there, and he looked at it, and he was like, don't get used to this. And he was right. <laughs> Somebody should have told Mike Perry, don't get used to this because you got to earn your seat at that fucking golden crusted table and you haven't done so. And now where are you? Just a guy with a yappy mouth. Yeah, Rodriguez was in a similar position. Yeah, Rodriguez was like, I don't want to do this. I want to. Oh, you want some terms? Here's here's my final offer. Nothing. Get the fuck out. And the once homeless street kid from 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 Mexico was like, oh, oh, this sucks. So, yes, Korean zombie was winning that fight until he lost it, you know, and people are like um, how I mean, at, at jujitsu today, they were saying, oh, about intentionality, man, he probably practiced that a thousand times. I said, no, he didn't. His winning of that fight wasn't a micro move. Because certainly, who waits till 4.59 to do that shit? But it was like learning how to drum. Like I tell the guys who I'm training with in jiu-jitsu who are like white belts. It's a, you're, you'll be like a drummer. If you watch the black belts that train here, their feet are go, they're like octopus. Their feet have, are independently moving and, 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 and gain-saving position in the same way that their hands are. That's, that's my point. Yair was throwing a flurry of which that was one of the things in the flurry that on a lazy Susan of moves that he had, that was probably one of them. And he fucking caught dude. Yair, however, will never have a good time in the UFC at this point. You know how I know? Because of Andy Wu. I used to work with a guy named Andy Wu. Donna Shalala is all you want. She's back. The boss walked over to him in a bullpit and a bullpen, put his foot on Andy Wu's desk, looked down into Andy Wu's eyes and said, why are you so goddamn stupid? And I looked at the boss and I tried to communicate with just my eyes. If you do that to me, you and I will be fighting in this fucking office. Maybe not. I've always had a good sense of humor with something like that. If he leaned, put his foot on my desk and leaned down to my face with his face inches from my face and said, how could you be so goddamn stupid? There's a 50-50 chance I might laugh. <laughs> that's great. I love sadism, and that's pretty fucking sadistic. If I was the kind of guy who was going to be sensitive enough to be bothered by it, that would have bothered me. Except, you know, I laugh. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. That was one I've been asking my whole life. And he goes, wipe that fucking stupid grin off your face. And then I, I go, okay, that's the way you want to play it. And then we're fighting in the classroom. Andy Wu, however, ended up going to law school. And if you remember the story, also made the newspapers after that, after they towed his car. And he showed up at the tow yard with a gun and uh, demanded to take his auto back. And they let him take it back. And by the time he got home, the police were there. I don't know how that plays with your the bar. I think it falls into the moral turpitude clause, but that was the last thing I read about Andy Wu. Doesn't matter. Uh, uh, 
Korean Zombie ended up his fight face down, ass up. There are very few circumstances under which that counts as a win. But Yair will never be happy in the UFC at this point because Yair is Andy Wu. It's not so much that the boss put you in your place and that really worked. Being put in your place has to do, again, we're back to micro and macro. Being put in your place has to do with your comfortability with the place you've been put in. Otherwise, the place putter rankles you. I don't know if you've ever been slapped in public. I've not been slapped in public, but I had somebody throw a deli tray in my face. I'm not going to that story now because we're already over time. And, you know, the, the, the lettuce and the bologna and the salami was on my shoulders and I had to pick it up, you know, take it off, put the plate down. But if your boss does that, you'll never forget that. You'll never forget it. And that's where Yair is now. Scared money doesn't make money. It's not scared. He might be scared as well. But that shit leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Anytime anybody in the front office will start talking start talk about us and we, you know the real deal. You raised your fucking hand to me. And that will not be forgotten. Because I know if I lose, I'm shit. And if I win, I'm still shit. Besides which, I opened a door into my wheelhouse and everybody saw that I'm lacking when I got wrestle mugged by dude. So I got a lot of stuff to worry about and the people who are supposed to be helping me, you know, people who are behind me have knives, I discover. He's not in a comfortable place. And Korean Zombie is is actually, is actually you know, old enough now that losses like this are not going to accrue to his benefit. So even though we had a winner out of that fight, I don't think anybody really feels like they won. We have a winner out of out of the Cerrone uh, the Cerrone uh, uh, Perry fight, and only one. Uh, yeah, uh, we got a winner there. <laughs> Yair won the fight, but Yair wasn't winning that fight, and Yair has won something that fundamentally I think he feels uncomfortable with, and that's a continued seat at the table with people who have been wanting to slap him in the face. So it goes. I guarantee you, by the time if I did it or if the shoes fit come around on Tuesday, you may not remember what we talked about today. There's a strong possibility. This might not be a tent pole of your life in November of 2018. But if you leave this with nothing, if you go away with nothing, realize the healthiest of us, the healthy of us spend more of our time macro. The, the hysterics, somebody described in his new book about Hitler, they described, he had that clear-eyed look of alcoholics, hysterics, and madmen. I don't know if you've ever had a head injury, but one of the things that happens when you get a head injury is that your eyes get very shiny. It's a macro thinkers, visionaries, people who see things that aren't there, Probably, possibly as a result of some sort of brain injury. Don't know. Sometimes it ends up having a pro-social outcome, and sometimes it has a very antisocial outcome. 
But if you remember nothing about this show, remember, <laughs> you know, nobody who's working on the innards of a watch is going to take over a fucking country. Macro doesn't get you micro. No, micro doesn't get you macro. Sorry. And the UFC, in thinking about in thinking about how they've done their business, they're thinking with binoculars. They're thinking about the whole year. I gotta make my money the whole year. Every fight, I don't I don't have to have every one doesn't have to be a home run. I need single, single, double, single, double, strikeout, home run. And at the end of the year, we count up home runs and we count up singles, we count up base hits, well, base hits single, we count up doubles, and then we look to see who wins. They're going to they're going to fucking ESPN in Jan what in 2019. Old laws don't mean anything anymore. Ariel Ari Emanuel's throwing his hands up. Oh, I don't know. You guys take care of business. It's not win or lose. It's win or die. It's okay. It's okay. Look at life with a binocular. You do better in the long run. Clearly, clearly. They didn't say go. They said go west, young man. They didn't say move a little to the left. That's not what they said. They said go west. Grand American frontier. The idea of further and more. Ken Kesey had it in his bus. Further, more, macro. That's my point. Anyway, I've talked way too long. Yeah, a seventy-minute show. I have my glasses just dropped. So thanks for coming. At Eugene S. Robinson. Ah. At Eugene S. Robinson for Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. If you're especially amusing and entertaining, I sometimes follow you back. If you're on a uh, Instagram, Mr. Sleep 3, the number 3. But if you don't have any photos on your page, I assume you're a spy. And if you do that, that cutesy thing of, like, I've got a request to get in, and you got to see it. You want me to show, show me mine first? And then, no, I don't do that. It's like when I was dealing with Charles Manson. Paranoia made him paranoid. You had to completely stay away from anything that made him paranoid. Specifically, your paranoia. Tuesday night at 7. I, I'm not sure if Kid Nate is back. If he is back, it'll be 7.20. If it's not back, 7.45 with John Nash. Immediately followed by If the Shoes Fit. Care Don't Care preview is in the can. Next week's fight is, is up to be in the can. Buenos Aires UFC. I think we're done. I think we're done. I got a, a Eugene S. Robinson podcast, uh, Ozzy Confidential, coming up in November. It's going to be followed by a live event, which you're all invited to. If you, we, I mean, of course, you have to be in San Francisco. What can I tell you? But it should be a, a, a rip roaring thing. I don't know. We got to organize it, which means I got to organize it. I got so much of the. Look, I, I digress. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with V40. This is a Eugene S. Robinson show stomper. Go to patreon.com slash the stomper if you want to donate to the show. A nickel, a dollar, two dollars, whatever. Everything helps. Honest to God, I'm not kidding you. What you guys paid for this show in October actually made it possible for me to get groceries today. I'm not fucking kidding you. At the end of the year, things are skinned. We got all these long months. It's killer for me. So thanks for doing that. Your dollars here and there make a big difference to me. Anyway, the show's done. Talk too long. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you soon. Look what you made me do!